0: Comes the rain with my anger comes a bedrock games and the bedrock Uh, Vlog, and i'm here with jeremy by for another episode of the righteous blood podcast and today we're going to be talking about rulings and about chases and races in uh righteous blood ruthless blades and uh you know the reason is we saw that somebody had asked a question about it uh over at drive through rpg and it's a deep enough topic I, i gave the person a provisional answer which is really my answer to the question more than anything um, but we wanted to get into it deeper because I think this is an area of the game where it's it's highly interpretive, and uh, both of us do tend to take different different uh, approaches to it. Uh, so, so but before we get into the specific question of chases and races, we kind of wanted to get into rulings in general because that's a it's an important uh, sort of principle of the book. I think is this idea that. Uh, for certain things, we've established that rulings would be uh, more important than us kind of laying out a, a, a codex of clarifications for this is how you you handle it. We do, you know, we, we don't want to go the sage advice route of this game. We want this game to be uh, to remain uh, as I mean, it's it's not like it's I wouldn't say that the game itself is super rules light, but we don't want it to get any heavier than it already is in the book. Is the idea? So uh, so Jeremy, I, b- before we get into that, do you have any thoughts that you wanted to add or? Um... Just
1: that um, you know we obviously also didn't have room to just include clarifications for every little single aspect. And that said, there, I think uh, you and I have um, very, not very, but we do have differing sort of gaming philosophies in a lot yeah. of different ways, which I think was a benefit for the game because it didn't veer one way or the other. Uh, and I'm personally somebody who likes having a lot more I don't necessarily like having a lot more rules, but I do like having a lot of things uh, being clarified that come up as questions and I think you fall more in the line of let the GM decide I, if you go to my I just I was I was curious about this as you were talking just now. I did a search for ruling in my Gmail and it's like I have a lot of emails <laughs> that come up because as we were going through the design process I would, point out something, I would say, hey, well, what about this? And then you would say, well, that's an area for a GM ruling. <laughs> and as we went through, some, some we left as GM rulings, some we put into the, the GM section, some things we reworded. Yeah. But in the end, we do leave a lot of room for certain things to be interpreted by the GM or uh, adjudicated by the GM.
0: Yeah, and, and, the, and the basic reason for that is, is to reduce the amount of things that the GM needs to memorize to play the game was the idea. And, and, and also sometimes there'd be a rule and it would be like, we don't necessarily want to weigh in on this. Like, like you could interpret it this way or that way. And those are going to be very different stylistic choices. And we didn't necessarily want it to go one direction or the other for all groups for all time. And so that was another reason why we would sometimes lean on the ruling. Um, And also, I think it was beneficial to us because we come from different perspectives and different styles to lean on the ruling sometimes for that reason. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and, and again, the idea, the idea of rulings is actually explained in the book where, uh, you know, uh, we have a whole section on it. And a lot of that, uh, you know, is, uh, you know, comes from, uh, ideas from people like Rob Conley and stuff like that from the bat in the attic blog, uh, which I've absorbed into my own gaming over the years. But, but in terms of uh, chases and races, uh, which is, for, for those that are following along, now that we have copies of our book, we can actually pull it out and, uh, and, and, and discuss, uh, discuss pages uh, specifically from the book. Um, it's in the first chapter. And let me see if I can find the page. It's page 20. And, and so I'm going to read the text just so that we're all on the same page here. So it says, chases and races can be resolved by opposed speed rolls, Or lightness martial arts rolls, depending on the situation. As a general rule, when someone gets two wins in a row, i.e., rolls higher than their opponent twice in a row, that person gets away or catches the target. And so, I wanted this rule to be really, really simple because I wanted it to be flexible enough that it could be applied differently to different situations. And I think Jeremy was on the same page with me when we did this one. Um, And but. But the question that we got was was really about what happens if you have one person making a speed roll and one person making a lightness roll, and how does that affect things? And so my answer to that, and, I'm, and Jeremy's going to give his in a, di- in a moment, which will be slightly different, is I wouldn't normally have those two things rolled against each other. I would tend to take this very literally, which is it's opposed speed rolls or opposed lightness martial arts rolls and you would determine that based on the situation. So so say you have a character who bolts down an alley and he runs away from a guard. And you say okay that's obviously speed. So I'm going to have one character roll speed, the other character roll speed. Uh, and let's just say that they uh, that the, the first character is able to to get some distance by rolling higher. But you know you still have a second roll. And this and that second round the character's like I'm going to try to leap up a, a wall. And then in that instance, you might say, okay, it's an opposed lightness role to, to clamber up the wall. And, and so that's that's how I would generally implement it. But I think it's also meant to be flexible. A GM might say, hey, I'm gonna throw in this other skill role here to spice things up because the player said they want to do something really specific. So in my campaign uh, yesterday, I had a player who before the chase, they were trying to set up a distraction. They knew they might be chased as a result of this distraction. In fact, that was part of the purpose. He set up an escape route, and 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 he he created like a little burrow for himself to hide in inside of during the chase. So I had to make a, a survival roll, and so during the the chase itself, when the guard started chasing him, I had the guard make a detect roll against that survival roll on top of the other uh, speed rolls and lightness martial arts rolls that were going on, and and th- and that you know, so so I so I would see this rule here number one just to answer the question i would say you generally want to pick speed or lightness martial arts depending on the situation and you can either have both of the roles be speed or lightness martial arts or you could have the first role be one and the second role be another it depends on what's going on if they're if they're just chasing each other and running or if they're leaping far distance or something like that Uh, but also i think that this rule is a starting point to use a little more creatively if you want to so Uh, Jeremy, what are your thoughts on it?
1: Um, I mean, I, for the most part, just agree with what you said. And I think just to clarify, at least from my mind, I think one of the reasons why we included, well, it it made sense to include more than just one, uh, one, you know, we couldn't just have chases be based on lightness. That doesn't really make sense because there's so many possibilities for how a chase could, could um, come about. And uh, the, I think you were alluding to how, uh, as we had talked about before, why I would um, consider allowing uh, both skill and, or sorry, both speed and lightness to be used at the same time for a chase. In other words, not like. In other words, I, I would allow for one character to use speed and one to use lightness. instead. the reason that I did it that way was because. Or the reason that I would do it that way, and, and in fact I did do it that way in the games that I have run and in, in, in which chases came up, is because I felt that it would make sense for the person who was, whether it's an NPC or the player, to make their own decision about how they wanted to pursue or flee. Okay. Um, so, for instance, if I have if you have a character that you created to be, you know, some internal martial arts master. Uh, and then they put another point in external or something, and they don't have any lightness arts. That means that if they tried to flee from somebody using lightness arts, they would be doing it at a disadvantage, basically. They would be rolling two dice and picking the lowest number. And I'm, and in my mind, I'm thinking, well, what happens if that guy also happens to be a sword master who has really high speed and is just generally fast? Well, wouldn't that person realistically instead of trying to resort to their non-existent like horrific internal arts, wouldn't they just try to run as fast as they possibly could with their mundane speed? And so the way that I handled it is I would allow the person who was fleeing to determine what stat they were using, whether it was lightness or speed. Mm -hmm. And then I would also allow the person that was chasing to make that same decision because conversely... If there's a, let's take that example. Or I think maybe a more real, a more realistic example would be somebody with three with high external mm-hmm. and then a little bit of internal and then no lightness. Let's say that this person is trying to run away and let's say that they're a swordsman and they uh, have three speed. Well, let's say they're trying to run away and they're like, okay, I'm going to run and I'm just going to pound it with, uh, you know, my legs. I am going to sprint as fast as possible in the opposite direction. And then the person that's chasing them, let's say that they're like the opposite. They have three in lightness and they have um, no speed. Well, I think it would be realistic for that person to not attempt to rely on mundane speed to try to catch this this person that's running away from them and instead, you know, whoo, use their lightness the arts. And so in that case, I would allow the person that was fleeing to use speed and the person that was chasing them to use the lightness. Now, one thing I should um, add to this is that I think both of us agreed. A long time ago that the martial arts skills were supposed to in most situations trump the mundane skills in that yeah. they're supposed to be kind of almost superhuman to some extent and that's especially goes yeah. with the lightness the lightness is supposed to come along with your meditation and your you know your internal chi energy or whatever so uh, this is not anywhere in the book but i think that i would most likely in a case where it was speed versus lightness i would give lightness a disadvantage Either, either that, or I would give lightness an advantage. So, in other words, if there, in that, let's imagine that situation in which there's a person with three speed uh, that's running from somebody with three lightness. I would most likely give the person with speed a minus one d10 on their roll, just to convey the concept that lightness martial arts is sort of a superhuman feat that surpasses the mundane. So that's basically how I would handle it, not exactly how you would. Uh, in terms of what you were talking about, of having obstacles and different things like that, I, I definitely would uh, allow for that depending on the circumstances. But in terms of just the pure running, uh, I would do it the way I described. And there's another situation, uh, I'm almost done, then I'll hand it back yeah. over to you, in which I might, um, I might uh, require them to use certain things. It would obviously be dependent on the situation, the terrain and whatnot. Yeah. Like, for example, if you're trying to replicate the scene in *Crouching Tire Hidden Dragon*, where they are like ch- where uh, uh, Lee Mu Bai chases, uh, uh, I forget what her name is. I think they called it Jen in the English. Yeah, they called uh, it Jen in the English. One. Right. He's chasing her through the bamboo trees. Well, obviously that would have to be lightness. Yeah. Uh, conversely, yeah. I think in for me personally, if they were if there was some sort of like back alley chase where they're on the ground, there's a lot of twists and turns with intersections every couple of feet or something. It's like yeah. a maze. I personally probably wouldn't let my players use lightness. In my mind, lightness is something that requires momentum or at least a, 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 like a, a good distance to yeah. use. So I would probably require them to use speed. Uh, or if it was like an underground chase, like in the sewers, maybe they're crawling or something. So obviously there are circumstances where it would re- require speed as opposed to lightness. But
0: Yeah, because yeah, one of the things in the game, well, first off, what penalty did you give or advantage did you give when it was uh, lightness versus speed. I don't think that ever came up, but if, uh, because it was
1: always, um, on rooftops or something that were in my games. And I don't think there was ever, I don't recall there ever being one in which it was speed versus lightness, but yeah. if that came up, I would just do a, I would most likely do a minus one to the speed. Is okay.
0: Yeah. Cause I think, I think, uh, you know, there is this general idea that it trumps like lightness would obviously trump athletics, as a for leaping over a roof like a guy who you know a guy a guy who is using athletics to leap is like objectively can't leap as far as somebody who has lightness martial arts but i think when you get into speed and speed is a factor of lightness martial arts it it still kind of is dependent as you can probably tell from this conversation how the gm conceptualizes lightness martial arts uh you know the the descriptions of it that i've always kind of focused on in books and stuff is you know, like literally affecting the weight of your body. Do you know what I mean? Like things like that. And so that's, to, so that's sort of what guides my thinking in terms of would lightness or speed be more relevant in this situation. So there was an example the other night I had, I had two chase scenes in my, in my campaign last night. And I, I just talked about the first one or the, the, the second one, but the first one was actually a more comedic moment where the players were trying to get to um uh, Lee's antiques in outtown uh, for, uh, they both had dueling reasons for reaching her and trying to get her to do something for them. And so they wanted to get there first, each of them wanted to get there first. And they decided right when they were at the door to kind of try to both bolt inside. And I decided to make that a lightness martial arts situation because of the situation, because the almost the opposite of how you would reason it though, where I figured, well, they this guy is trying to squeeze through the door really fast. So I I just sort of imagine lightness kung fu being more of a factor, but I I thought if the if the if the race to get in there had started twenty feet earlier, I would have had opposed speed rolls probably. Do you know what I mean? So it, it's just one of those things where I think a lot of it really depends on how you conceptualize these things and how you uh, and what the specifics of the situation seem to demand for you. Uh, but but I do want to point out I think this is an area of a game. Where you do have to be cautious because I, 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 I deliberately chose the lightness kung fu uh, option last night because I knew it might or I knew it was the most likely one to irk one of my players. And I wanted to see how <laughs> I wanted, because I knew that I was going to answer this question for people. And I wanted to see how much does that bother somebody? Do you know what I mean? To get a sense of it. Um, and he, I mean, he's a cool guy. He's not going to freak out at me or anything like that. But he but he told me, yeah, I thought it was like sort of an odd ruling. You know what I mean? So you, you do want to, you know, know your players when you're making these judgments, too, because ultimately, you know, you know, if you make if you make a ruling that they think is unwise, you know, that that can, uh, it, you know, I mean, mo- most groups, it's still going to be fine. But, you you know, it sort of it sort of deducts a point from your overall uh your overall rating is a GM. It's like your Uber driver rating. Do you know what I mean? It can go up or down depending on how good your rulings are. So this is an area where, you, you know, again, I would be inclined to kind of do it in a more rigid way, the way I first described, just for that reason, so that everybody kind of knows what to expect from me. But it's, again, it's really, it, it is very uh, dependent on interpretation. Um And I I wanted to mention that there's a game called uh, Doctor Who Adventures in Time and Space. And I don't know if anybody who's listening has played that. But that was the game that was kind of in my head when I was thinking of this mechanic. Which you sort of have two different abilities that you can kind of choose from depending on the circumstances. And it's naturally fluid. But it naturally creates these gray zones that you kind of have to consider. Do you know what I mean? So. I don't know do you want to add anything to that or is that a- Well I have
1: three things to add so I'm gonna, I'm actually going to I should write these down so okay. um uh let me think Okay and all right so let me touch first on uh what you were mentioning about lightness there's I, I agree um about the like making the body light I mean that's in in Chinese that's literally kind of what it's referring to um that said there are a couple scenes that have always stood out to me one of them mm-hmm. i'm i'm pretty sure it's in smiling proud wanderer uh the the translation the novel translation but it's it's possible it could be in something else like maybe one of the condor heroes i forget but there's, well, there's a this, scene this where
0: semi gods and Devi demi uh... <laughs> we just talked about this before yeah. the thing too uh, Demigods and Semi Devils has a character who's really fast that uses lightness this No, it's, that it's not
1: that. There was a there's a scene. Um, in fact, yeah, it, it's definitely Smiling Proud Wanderer because okay. in the early parts of Smiling Proud Wanderer, there's like these two um, old members of the Jianghu and like they play uh, like they play um, flute and arhu together or something. I know I'm oh them. yeah yeah, yeah this wrong. I, there's a part where they like they're in the scene and then they leave. And I vividly remember this. I mean, m- maybe this is a bad translation because I haven't read it in Chinese. Incidentally, I should point out. There's this part where they like, they leave together and it specifically says they're using their lightness arts. And then it's like, they're. I, I always envisioned it as like a, you know, dong, like they they were just gone. Yeah. It's like one moment they were here and then the next moment they were so far away, you could yeah. hardly see them. No, and that, I've I used
0: I've used that interpretation in Ogre Gate for like a lot yeah. of techniques to do that. So I, I I totally get what you're saying. Do you think that this would fit into... We have the discussion on know what franchise you're in, in um, the GM section. Would this fit into that, maybe? Like, if I'm in, like, a 1970s Shaw Brothers movie versus if I'm in, like, a TV series version of Smiling Proud Wanderer and the book Smiling Proud Wanderer, would I have different expectations? Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and... uh, Yeah, I think so. And this makes me think of... I mean, if you're going to go in terms of movies chase scenes you know there's a big difference between the chase the famous chase scene from crouching tiger hidden dragon mm. and then the chase scene which i think is also equally awesome from dragon Usha the Yen mm. movie the 2000s one because in the crouching tiger one you know they're definitely like they're running up walls they're yeah. like leaping and flying and stuff like floating up and then getting pulled back down and then in the one, the Donnie Yen movie, um, it's basically like a parkour chase scene Yeah, yeah. Atop, across the rooftops where if they are using lightness, it's minimal at best and essentially kind of used to cushion their fall maybe. It doesn't even imply that. It, it's basically a straight up across the rooftops parkour chase scene. But I think that's a good example of, of you know how you would need to make that decision. If you,
0: if you wanted to make genre. lightness martial arts grounded in reality like that chase scene is the one like that. I think yeah. that's a really good chase scene too. Cause it's sort of like, sometimes you see these scenes, you're like, Oh, they're thinking of every other scene that's ever happened in the genre. And they're like adding their own thing to it now. You know, that's yeah. um, for me,
1: I like in my, in my Jung that I use for my games, the lightness operates more like the crashing tiger, tiger version with a touch of, sort of like force speed you know I don't okay. know if you remember that that scene in uh, episode 1 Phantom Menace where Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon Jinn kind of like like race kinda, off like, it's a little bit beyond what what I think lightness is but for me it's kind of built But into no, it.
0: but no I've seen that in shows and I've read that in books And again, but again I think it's one of these things where like this is something we probably should have talked about more in the in the rule book, but like every author kind of has their own physics of yeah. these things that they use, and so that's why we're kind of leaning heavily on interpretation here and obviously Gulong was a major source of inspiration, but i don't really have strong memories of his use of lightness kung fu compared to jin Yong. his his lightness kung Fu really kind of stood out to me for some reason um Gulong always felt a little more grounded, so I tend to Lean on the grounded in interpretation. I feel yeah.
1: like I like in the back of my mind, I can I have these memories of similar things from Gulong, where they're having people, mm. you know, speed off in the blink of an eye, kind of things. But I it's, I can't come up with any example off the top of my head, okay. so I'm not totally sure. Okay. But getting into the other couple of things I wanted to get into, which was um, similar to what you brought up about skills covering different aspects or two skills that. There's two things in this second topic, there's kind of two things Mm -hmm. I wanted to say, which is we had a very, you know, we couldn't go and we didn't want to go into the realm of having a million different skills or like covering every different thing. So there's a lot of skills that we have that are going to have to, by default, cover sort of wildly different aspects of what would realistically be possible. And speed is one of them because on the one... so. If you have gone through the rules and kind of know how the game works in general, you'll you'll notice that our basically combat initiative is speed. Yeah. And the thinking behind that was that so often in these novels, um, in these fights, especially Gulong fights, a lot of times it comes down to who's faster. Yeah. And a lot of times it'll mention that you know, for example, uh, um, Little Lee's flying dagger. I I recall it constantly saying that he's faster than anybody. Nobody's faster than his dagger, and so. By the time anybody can like draw their weapon, his daggers already there in their throat um, or A a from you know, his kind of sidekick uh, in Little Leaf Flying Dagger. His sword is like super, super fast. And so we kind of took that as inspiration. And that's why we had have speed as the initiative. And we also have initiative or speed rolled every round of combat. To give an advantage to people with speed. Like, that's a genre trope that we were aiming for. That said, that same stat or ability, I should say, uh, is going to cover chases as well. So, obviously, our speed covers both the quickness of your hand when fighting and also, like, your ability to sprint. Um, And so, this is going to go fall into, you know, GM rulings again where I can, if I was a GM and and I, you know, had some character that... It didn't make sense for them to be able to run fast, and yet they were fast with their weapon. I might, you know, that might affect how I did the chase scene.
0: So, uh, what was the? Th- you got a third point, right? Or my I... right
1: third one. Um, third one was uh, this is just a really random aside because you mentioned the Doctor Who thing. Uh, I don't know if who out there is familiar with the. I believe the latest edition of Call of Cthulhu is a seventh edition. Um, they have a chase, an optional chase mechanic that's built into that system. That is a little bit complicated, but it's really, really cool. So if you're like, if you aren't familiar with it and you're interested in making a chase that's a little bit more complex than we have, I think it's great. I, I have to add a disclaimer. I've never actually um, part. I've never actually played <laughs> Call of the Seventh Edition. Never had an opportunity to. I have the book. Um, but it's just a really cool way of throwing in obstacles and challenges and stuff into a kind of a set, um, predefined chase, uh, you know, like path that can lead to, I think a really, again, I've never done it, but based on what I've heard, can lead to a very exciting and dramatic thing. So if you're a GM who's wanting to have a little bit more complicated than we've provided, I think that's a great, uh, inspiration to look to. Um,
0: yeah, no, I, I think, I think, uh, well, number one, I think, Pulling in things from other systems is always, you know, uh, it's always it's always uh, something that you can do if if you're if if uh, if, if you need to uh, elaborate on an existing mechanic. Um, uh, when it comes to when it when it comes to our mechanic, one thing I will say is something that I do do during chase scenes with this game is I will do stuff like that. And I'll just, like I kind of said, throw in another skill roll for it. So like, if I want to say, Oh, there's going to be like something tumbling in front of them that they have to jump over. You could, you know, ask for an athletics roll or whatever, um, you know, midway through, uh, you know, that, that's how I would personally handle it. Um, you know, again, that's why I'm saying that like, this mechanic is the base and people should elaborate on the base as much as they need to. Um, yeah, I would
1: say, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, one of the downsides to our to our chase system is the simplicity. And I, I did encounter this a couple of times where it's like, Wuxia chase scenes can be very dramatic. Like for example, in the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon one, which is I think probably the one most people are going to gravitate toward. It was, a, in terms of, if I recall that, the song so in the soundtrack the song is like this beating drum like song Mm -hmm. like i have the crouching tiger hidden dragon soundtrack and i've listened to it probably like a hundred times i used to listen to it when i was working so i've listened to it a million times pretty sure that song is something like two and a half minutes long so that like on screen and sort of screen times like a two and a half minute chase scene is that's a pretty really long chase scene and they're like fighting and like throwing things at each other and whatnot so our chase mechanic essentially can be over in two rolls, as fast yeah. as two rolls. And, and even if it's not in two rolls, it's going to be within a couple rolls. So it's not really designed for those for a super extended, like you're running across all of Beijing, fighting and like doing all kinds of things. If you do want to re- replicate that, then you're definitely going to have to well, expand on it.
0: Well, I would disagree a little bit only because the way that I tend to run the chase scenes is those two rolls are usually a lot more than just bump bump do you know what i mean so there's usually like like it's kind of depends on how active your players are and how active you are as a gm if the player like i had the player last night he makes his role and then he says and i'm going to say this to the guy and try to get him to, do you know what i mean So like there's there's an interaction that can occur within the space between the roles but again that's one of the reasons why rulings are so significant because obviously how every group dynamics are all different and every group kind of the spaces in between the mechanics can be very different. So, um, you know, if again, if you use it as a base and you want to add in skill rolls to 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 produce that sort of thing. Like for example, if you, you know, if the GM is free to lay out the chase scene however the GM wants, right? So the GM could say like, you know, you know, as you're, you know, like after the first roll, the GM could say, "Well, you know, you come upon like a giant wall, like the city wall is there, so, you know, something is there. And then that initiates a choice a player might have to make within the chase scene. So I wouldn't want people to avoid those kind of things just because they're making two rolls. The The point is that the, the point of reducing it to two rolls is so that they can have the flexibility to add that stuff in they want to i think but um plus
1: we do say as a general rule <laughs> so yeah. there's obviously room for other things yeah. another question that we don't answer is what happens when they catch up so for instance with me i had situations uh, the mo- one that jumps to mind is from the most recent uh, session i ran uh, yeah. or campaign where i had a i had one of the player characters chasing a an npc across rooftops during a stormy Night, it wasn't just a stormy night, it was actually a typhoon. Hmm. Um, I had tried to replicate um Dragon Gate Inn okay. as a uh, and it, so I had a typhoon hit, and that was supposed to have it result with everybody staying inside, but my players, of course, chose not to stay inside. And so they had a They oh, and incidentally, the person that was being chased was Qing Yun, who's the handmaiden of uh, of Xia who's the NPC that plays into the Pleasures of the Harbor uh, campaign. In any case, uh, the NPC was running out into the night and the PC chased, the player chased. And so I included, uh, I want to say athletics because of the wind gusts. There was typhoon level wind gusts. And so every, in addition to the role to, in addition to the lightness role, they also had to make an athletics role to keep their footing. Then at a certain point, the player actually did catch up But we don't really say specifically in the rules what happens then. So, you know, the GM is going to have to decide. I actually left it up to the player to decide what he wanted to do. And, you know, does he want to knock her down off the roof? Does he want to try to stab her in the back? Does he want to try to tackle her? Does he want to try to grab her robe? Like there's so many different options. And uh, it could result in, so in in this case, it resulted in them both tumbling off the roof into a courtyard, which is kind of like what happens in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, uh, and then going from there, it could go a lot of different ways. It could go into a full fight scene. It could go into another yeah. chase or a lot of different things.
0: Yeah. It's, what tends to happen to mine when they catch them is that's usually when the fight tends to occur and then they might break away and there be, you know, so it depends on like, what, what like they catch him, one person attacks and then the other player maybe decides to keep trying to run away or, you know, attacks back. It could, it could vary. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. Is, that, is is that uh is that everything we wanted to cover for the mechanic, or did we have other topics to go over?
1: I think that's pretty much it. And I think uh, I had hopes to kind of um, go through the book and cu- come up with a couple more examples of specific examples regarding rulings because mm-hmm. it's just it's such just such a common thing that we talked about. Uh, I didn't have time to do that unfortunately, but. Suffice it to say that if there is something that is not made absolutely clear, chances are we probably realized that and left it open to GM. Yeah. I don't think there's very many things where we just accidentally forgot to include uh, no, a clarification. No. No, Most cause... of the stuff is intentionally left open for the
0: GM. No, because like you were saying, we had like there's literally dozens of emails where we have the you know where that that comes up. Um, yeah, right now I'm actually uh, I've been. You know, in the I was originally going to do a series of campaigns based on specific movies uh, that were like one shots each, uh, but then I realized I kind of want to like I don't know I want to refamiliarize myself with the content because I keep switching from project to project. And so I decided to uh, to have my group all play random NPCs from the book, um, and and then we would construct adventures around those NPCs. And so we're presently on a, uh we're on one with um uh, thief goddess Lee as as uh, one of the main characters and uh, you know there's another character who's a constable another character who's kind of like a private investigator that are uh, they're all involved in the same adventure and that's actually
1: a good point that I've been meaning to mention is that all of the NPCs in the book are created essentially um, the way that you would create a normal player character so for yeah. all intents and purposes they are all basically pre-gen characters that you can just take and play you know without having to
0: do anything well that's what i wanted to comment on actually because that was i was surprised when we did it i was like oh wait a second these characters i forgot these characters are all interlinked with each other and all that stuff so as, as as i started to see their characters i was like oh this character would obviously probably be doing this and this and this might be one of their enemies that is kind so a kind of rough sketch of a campaign started to take shape uh, you know, a lot of it depended on what things the characters wanted to lean on, because obviously they get the character, but then it's like, well, maybe they don't want to go do the thing that the NPC says it's currently doing. So, um, but, it, but it basically boiled down to there was like, there were a couple of objects that people might have been going after. Um, we also had uh, Crimson Stargazer was one of the characters in the campaign. Um, uh, and and that produced some interesting developments. But uh, But yeah, so... You know, I'll, I'll, but the point is, I'll, I'll be running this, you know, in the, in the coming weeks, and I'll I'll uh, I'll probably be able to amass some examples because uh, I'll be on the lookout for rulings, things, and I can, uh, I can I can, you know, present them to you, and we can cover them in the podcast. Uh, I think probably
1: one of the big ones, which I'm curious to see how you handle and how how other players handle. I never was able to have a campaign long enough to have the players. Truly take advantage of their occupation because one of the things we say in the occupation Section is that these are starting wages for all of the occupations and we say they can increase with rank or prestige Uh We didn't for the most part get into those matters of rank or prestige again We couldn't touch every single aspect that could possibly come up So that's one definitely where the GM is gonna have to start making decisions about how does a how does a certain players You know if a player is a constable and they're solving cases, and aren't they going to rise to the ranks? Or aren't they going to get promotions? That's an area where there's definitely going to have to be some some GM well, I, uh, input.
0: I had a character that was an official in one of my campaigns, and he and we dealt with that. He was getting promotions and stuff like that. Um, that I mean, that I tend to treat that very with officials. I tend to treat it organically, and I tend to have it be rewards for doing their job. Do you know what I mean? That, you know, especially in like the books and the movies. Especially in the movies, it seems like officials advance because they made some kind of achievement. Do you know I mean, it seems yeah. to be pretty merit-based. So, and, and usually it's the bad guys I find that we see advancing. You do see good guys advancing, but typically, Wuxia heroes are not as often a part of the bureaucracy as the bad right. guys. So, you know, you'll have the you'll have the or you'll have like the guy who is it's like a fox in the in the hound type situation where uh, uh, you have the the guy who grew up with the hero and is, you know, deviated from the path of good and is, is, is advancing through the Imperial bureaucracy and doing bad things in order to do so. Um, But, uh, but yeah, I I don't know. I handle it organically. So if like, uh, if they have, if they are set on a mission and a character does an exceptional job, then, you know, that's obviously probably going to result in a promotion. And I think it would be similar for constables and things like that for other occupations. Obviously it might be more off screen, like, you know, if you're a fisherman, that's not gonna, you know, uh, you know, how much fishing are you really gonna be doing during the during the right. game? Um, but some of them,
1: like for instance, I mean, just looking to this, like I think in most we sort of give a like as an entry level, you'll be this, but you could eventually reach this level. For example, assassin, mm-hmm. um, the thief, the merchant, um, even entertainers, all kind of operate on the idea that oh, a character. Said. Is going to start out at level one kind of as a sort of a nobody for the most part and then presumably as they go through the levels are going to become more and more famous but again we didn't you know i get never really saying. got into the mechanics of how it so, would work
0: i tend to deal with that in terms of how much do the players actually engage advancement do you know what I mean if they're just going off adventuring and they're not maintaining like a merchant empire of some kind anything that i come up with for it is going to be kind of it's either going to be a random procedure that I that I lean on to roll or it's going to be just me making stuff up I much prefer when the players are giving me information that I can use to assess the growth of something like a merchant empire or you know whatever it is um, so I tend to deal with it in a very granular way I'm not saying that's how everybody needs to They could do it differently. You know, you could, you could have it just be a steady progression. But when I, when I'm running a game like this, I tend to, I tend to have, uh, all that stuff be handled by whatever the specifics within the game are. Um, but then that said, I tend to have players that are like, oh, I want to start like Assault Empire right now, or I want to, you know, oh, my job is this. Okay. I'm going to go to my boss and ask, you know, like they tend to get very specific. So I, I, you know, it, it, it can really be different. I think if you have players that are l- less specific about those kinds of things.
1: Yeah. And I think also the, you know, the GM, um, unless you're running like a complete another, sa- a, a complete sandbox, um, which I know a lot of people like to do, but if you're, if you're using adventure modules or if you have your sort of, like if you're the kind of GM, I had somebody on Twitter uh, a few days ago mentioned to me that they're planning out a 24 session campaign. And I'm like, wow, how how do you plan out 24 yeah. sessions ahead of time? But in any case, the point is, you know, like, there's a lot of people who buy the the modules for whatever system it is. And, you know, it's in, intended to be a campaign around some yeah. kind of central idea or storyline. For instance, I can, you know, I definitely can see some GMs going through the adventures that we provide, Obsidian Bat and uh, The Pleasures of the Harbor. And the thing is, those two adventures, I mean, I love them and they're great. But if, you know, for instance, if you decided that you wanted your character to be, say an assassin that's cool but neither of those are really assassin missions i mean the gm could tweak it to be that way but like i hate i hate it i've had this happen to me as a player many times where i create a very specific unique like interesting character Mm. you know and then the gm has an adventure that has literally nothing to do with that and then i'm kind of like just kind of trailing along so i personally think the gm should give the players you know, the opportunity to utilize, for example, if you if your character, you, you have one of your players who's like, I want to be a fisher, like I grew up in the marsh yeah. and I have my own boat. And then the GM's like, okay, so you go into the Gobi Desert on a yeah. mission and then the fisherman is out in the middle of the desert with no way to, to do yeah. any fishing. Kind of just sucks for the player. So I think that, you know, uh, at least opening the door for the player to take advantage of their prospective uh, growth arc is i think kind of important
0: no i i i I see what you're saying so i guess for me like i do tend to run a lot of sandbox type games and when i run a game like this i wouldn't say it's like a strict sandbox where there's like hexes and stuff like that but the way i tend to run it is like like i did yesterday i give the guys their characters and i say this is what you know okay this is what they're trying to do and i kind of unleash them on the zhanghu and it's a little bit more like a character drama because it's character driven it's not driven by like you know let's let's go to this hex or that hex or whatever it's driven more by thief goddess lee has this situation she needs to resolve with so and so and she decides this is how she's going to go try to resolve it um and so uh so that infor- that that style of play uh it still tends to be very specific so i tend to have you know um you know it, it every everything in terms of advancement within an occupation would generally be treated with specifics uh and i think the other thing too is what it means is adventures like obsidian bat obsidian bat is really there to show you how to use the rules right like that's the main function of that one and pleasures of the harbor is there to show you how to construct like a gulong style mystery adventure more than anything else um uh but if but obviously any adventure that you run as a gm is going to be set around the actual characters that you have in your campaign And so that's going to be a big difference between that and the published material. And so if I, if I, you know, in, if I had like your assassin character in my campaign, well, number one, I'd probably, there'd probably be more assassin content in general, but as a player, you'd also be probably prodding me like, Hey, is there anybody in this tavern that looks like they might want to hire an assassin? Do you know what I mean? Like, like, (laughs) like that kind of stuff might be cropping up more. Um, But, uh, but also, you know, one thing I will say is because I do tend to lean on the sandbox thing, some players might find my style a little bit aimless at times because it can get aimless. If the play, you know, if, if you decide to go assassinate somebody and, you know, the other characters go on this, they want to go on this other mission and there's suddenly this thing where the party split that can create some weirdness. So, uh, you know, there, there are with the style, with how I run a game like this, there are pitfalls that you have to be aware of. Um, but I think the advantage of it is it does tend to honor character concepts quite a bit just because the players are free to kind of push whatever it is they're trying to pursue. Um, and, and then the question is do the other players fall in line or is there conflict over that? Um, yeah.
1: So another thing I wanted to mention, uh, I, as I almost always do, I forgot to do all of the, um, the, uh, self promotion, but, uh, First of all, the game. Incidentally, the game is has been the release date has been fluctuating, and it got pushed back. Then I got a message from Amazon saying that it was unpushed back. Yeah, I don't know what what the deal is, but you can, you know, uh, whether you're if you're in Europe, you can get it already. If you are in North America, the physical copy is not out yet, but you can go to wherever you get your books and pre-order it or order it. You know, if you have a local game shop, you yeah. do it through them. Um, my website, which is jeremyby.com, has links and stuff. It has a list to all of the reference material, and I do have—I have a personal blog where I, um, you know, uh, ruminate on all sorts of things. And I don't know if I don't think I sent this to you, Brendan. My latest uh, blog post, um, I'm—I have identified, in my opinion, the top 10 wuxia movies that can be easily converted into one-shots or added into added as basically simple adventures. And what I mean by that is. Movies where you can basically watch the movie and take most or even all of the main elements and just mm-hmm. turn it into an adventure You meant you had mentioned this about the movie thing Yeah, uh, so if anybody out there is looking for inspiration for that check out my blog um, And and you know you can find it on my Twitter and Facebook and everything as well But the reason I was I did I decided to do this little project um, Oh, and I split it up into two blog posts The first blog post is five movies and then the, mm-hmm. the second blog post which I'll do probably this weekend will be another five movies the reason I did that is because not every wuxia movie really translates well into an adventure idea some of them are just like we've talked about this on the podcast before things like uh maybe bride with white hair the first movie would just be very difficult to turn into an adventure Uh, so i decided to go through and try to find some that i thought would uh, easily translate into role-playing material
0: yeah i know i saw that actually i was thinking of doing one on the top movies for long-term campaigns when I saw you do that that
1: would be another good one yeah
0: because I was actually thinking oh bride because I was thinking bride, bride with white hair is my favorite and uh, I feel like bride with white hair is a great environment it's like a great setting but you wouldn't necessarily be able to have the players doing what the heroes are doing and the story is the problem so you could use it as a backdrop or if you take um bride with white hair too you can use it as the aftermath of like that would be the great a great foundation for a campaign um, uh, one that I want to throw, I don't know if, did you have this on you? Did you have Lady Hermit on your list by any chance or no? I considered that one. I didn't
1: put on the list. It, it, it was like almost on the list, but I decided that, I don't know. I felt like it was too, like the, the way the plot went in that movie was too dependent on the personal decisions of the characters. Um, and oh, I, I felt like it would be too easy to. Like I, I did, made this mistake with what I mentioned a few minutes ago with when I tried to redo or replicate Dragon Gate Inn, or actually it was, or the fate of Lee Khan, the basically the whole, you know, Inn in the middle of yep. nowhere where everybody gathers. I tried to do that, and the, I just planned it out wrong. And it just and it was still cool, but it went completely differently than what oh. I was thinking.
0: Did I ever send you the Ogre Gate Inn book? Because I should send that to you so you can. I think receive. I think so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I have that. But um. I I tend to see when I do... So Lady Hermit is one where I, I I use that as a scenario before. But what I would tend to do is I would cut out Lady Hermit and all those other characters and just focus on... There's this bully that, you know what I mean? Like, uh. I'm going to focus on the Black Claw demon guy. That's the, that's the bit that I want to use for my adventure. And so then, you know, it becomes something where the players wander into town and they, and, you know... They can take it or leave it. They don't have to engage it, but you know this local bully is pushing them around and extracting, you know, like extorting local businesses and has the, you know, I forget what the setup was, but basically forcing people to pay to uh, uh for the talisman so that they don't get murdered in the middle of the night, uh, you know, things like that. Uh, you know, I thought that would be a good setup for an adventure, so that that actually made its way into the Ogre Gate book in uh the Red Claw Gang. That was the that was sort of where that idea came from, um, but. You know, but, but I was thinking after when I read your thing, oh, I want to, I want, what about like long-term campaign might be like another angle that I could take to, to complement that. Um, the only question is like, you know, movies being what they are, it's kind of hard to assess them on a, what's good for a long-term campaign basis. So, uh, you know, I'll have to give it some thought, but, uh. But yeah, so and also in terms of promotion, I think we should mention your language guide because not language guide, your naming guide, because that was uh, people seem to like that. I noticed that got a lot of positive re- reactions. Yeah, I put a lot of
1: work into that. It was the result of uh, an insight. This is up on Osprey's resource page for their role-playing games, and you can find it on Drive Through RPG as well. It's uh, essentially a set of tables where you can either roll to randomly generate authentic names, or you can just kind of pick what you like. It includes the the definitions of the Chinese characters, which I think is, is helpful because you can find other Chinese name generation things online. Uh, some, a lot of them don't include the meaning of the names. Uh, this does, and it allows for you to create basically meaningful, authentic names. Uh, my wife helped me with a lot of it. And then, uh, my friend in China, Paul, uh, he's, uh, also a translator. Uh, he's, um, man, he, he and I have been friends for a long time. He's, he's, uh, uh, native of the town where I spent most of my time when I lived in China. Anyway, the three of us spent a lot of time putting the guy together, and it's free. So uh, it, whether you're um, making names for Righteous Blood, Ruthless Blades, or just for you know writing stories or any other game system, it's going to be a way to... I think I calculated it, and I think my math isn't that good, but there's something like 50,000 name possibilities, okay, or maybe okay. it's 100. I forget. There's, there's a, a lot. lot.
0: Yeah, no, There's I lot, so. that that that's one of the best one. It's probably the best one for this genre that I've ever seen because, like, it's uh, I don't know, it's it's a perpetual problem we'll say for for tables and and I've tried. I, I I mean, and we had another name generator that we gave to people that you and I put together for that yeah. book, but um, and that one was great. But the only problem was it, it didn't get to that fifty thousand level of possibilities, yeah. and so yeah. you know. This one's got so many things in it, um, and I don't think you need to even play our game to find use for it. You just if you are playing a Wuxia campaign of any kind, it'll it'll be handy. Um, yeah, for sure.
1: It, I, it has. I don't have it in front of me. I think it has something. I think I included something like ten tables for surnames, and then like fifteen tables for given names,
0: um, and so. But it's. You I just want to mention too, the other thing you did that I don't think I've ever seen on these tables is you give like the connotation of the name Do you know I mean? like, and I don't mean like the literal meaning. I mean, you're like, this is like a good name for a hero or this is a good name for a bad guy or this, you know, that's stuff that is really elusive to people that don't speak the language. So
1: yeah, I, we, I have thematic um, names and then also names based on occupation. The thing is, this happens a lot in the, in the Ushah books. Uh, the many times especially with gulong gulong he has a lot of names which are clearly not particularly realistic mm-hmm. you know it's kind of like if you have a I don't know off the top of my head you have like a like a thriller novel and then your your hero's name is like jet rifle or something yeah, like that it's which like, we
0: do we do that a lot I, I, yeah I, 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 so
1: so it's not as so unrealistic in Chinese that it that I would have translated as a name but it's yeah. at least kind of unique enough to be something out of the norm. Yeah. And so I, I have all that stuff in there. And I think it's it's totally possible to make some very authentic and meaningful names. And the, the Chinese characters are in there as well. So you can always copy and paste them out to, you know, print it, do art, look it up online, uh, find pronunciation, like even just uh, Google Translate online, you put the Chinese characters in there, hit the button and it'll read it for you. Mm-hmm. There's other tools to do that, but that's free and easily available. Uh, so it's easy to hear it pronounced relatively correctly. Um, so yeah, check that out on either DriveThruRPG or their site.
0: Okay. All right. So yeah, definitely check it out. Definitely let people know if you like the game too. Like that's like, word of mouth is so important. Uh, we we just saw that there was another review up of Righteous Blood, and those are always really helpful to us. So so definitely get the word out and. Until next episode, we will talk to you later. With the laughter comes the rain. With my anger comes a tide of emotion killing joy.